very first uh, for understanding. But the second one, you, you just really uproot in us uh, the unbelief of your love for us and the guilt that often hinders and destroys our faith. Just pray for that you you would come and speak to individuals here uh, through Joel Tudor. There's a Christian couple who, against all their good intentions, have fallen headlong into sexual sin. And they are wondering if God could ever bless their marriage now. Or even worse, there's a, a guy or a girl with a spotless sexual purity record. Shocked that people fall into sin. But slowly but surely, they are beginning to hate God for not giving them the spouse they feel they so deserve. There's a moral guy who's been a faithful church member his whole life. He's he's Bible man. He knows all of his Bible verses. Got it memorized. But if you look at his life, his life was a boat. You would see a wake of dead bodies behind it. He uh, he wakes up one day and finally realizes that he has been his biggest problem his whole life. But unfortunately, his friends and family figured that a long time ago, and they, they're gone. He's alone. These are people that you would say are trapped in big, ruling sins. Kind of sins that drastically affect your life, that, that have consequences. Um, and here's a question for you. What happens in God's eyes the moment each of these people turn from their sin? Not the moment they're done with it, not the moment they, they're perfect, but the moment they do what the Bible calls it. When they, when they turn from their sin, they're resolved by God's power to hate it and fight it. What's the expression on Jesus' face? What, what, if he, what if he had in store for them? Um, there's a real temptation to believe these people now will experience God's plan B. That God had some plan A for them, right? But they blew it, okay? And now they're kind of in the loser's bracket. You know how that works in sports, right? You, you have a play-in game. If you win, you go one way, super easy road. You lose, well, you're in the loser's bracket. You still get to play, right? But you're never, there's no prize anymore, right? You're playing second place. There's this temptation, especially uh, when we are the ones in sin when we are experiencing the consequences and guilt of our sin to believe that's just how God works. And the wonderful news of Joel 2 is that that is not how the grace of God works. God marvelously blesses and restores the repentant. There's no plan B. There's no loser's bracket in the Christian life. At the very moment of genuine repentance. People go from God's discipline to God's delight. They go from barrenness to blessing. Let's see. Joel 2, that God reverses the curses he sent. When people repent, God reverses the curses he sent. So, uh, again, just just so you understand the context of this passage, all right? God had sent a plague of locusts that had eaten all of the food. Everybody was hungry. Um, Their land was desolate. And God says, I did this to warn you. So repent. And the people repent. Not perfectly. Not without sin. They just turn from it. It says here in verse 18, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. It's funny to talk about God's jealousy. Oftentimes, when you hear a preacher talk about God's jealousy, it's how God is jealous for your affections and how he'll, he'll even angrily you know, be jealous over you. Here, God is jealous to bless 
his people. He is he has pity on them. And then uh, verse 19 says, The Lord answered. So he answered his people's prayers of repentance, right? He said, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil. That's everything that he had taken, right? All the things that he had taken in chapters 1 and 2. I'm sending those things to you, and you will be satisfied. Uh, verse 20. I will remove the northerner far from you. That's the army that was coming to destroy them. A future curse. He will remove them far from you. Just notice. Uh, this, again, if you were here last week, or you, can, you can just read this when you go home. Just a vast change in tone. Right? Last week it was hardcore. Repent or judgment's coming. In fact, there's judgment now. You better re- turn. The moment they turn... God's heart is wooing. He's delighting over them. He's longing, promising. They don't just get a clean slate. They get restoration. Look at verse 25. This is, a, this is an incredible verse. Uh, it says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So, uh, notice, uh, the locust had eaten years' worth of crops. So, normally, after a locust plague... Your, your nation would be just wrecked for a few years. It'd take a while to get back on track. And, um, and you'd think God would say, okay, well, great. You guys blew it. I wiped out all your crops. Okay, you repented. I'll give you just enough food to get by for the next few years. Teach you a lesson, right? Make sure you know it was bad. And he says, no, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Everything you've lost, I give it back in full. All of it. Pouring it out on you. There's no plan B. So again, for the person who repents, you repent. The very things God had brought has brought into your life to discipline you. The very things He's taken from you, whether that's peace of conscience or you know whatever it is, when you turn, God abundantly restores them. Um, I grew up. Uh, who here grew up with maps and MapQuest? Y'all don't have G- Anyone here had GPS their whole life? No? Okay, a couple? All right, okay, cool. Um, I remember uh, I, I tried to drive to Colorado uh, using printed out MapQuest pages. And uh, it, it's better than a map, okay? But uh, it's, very, it's, very, it's very, very frustrating because if you miss one turn, everything becomes useless. Like, your whole, your whole map becomes useless. And uh, anyway, so one time I heard, uh, I, I was listening to Francis Chan speak. And uh, he was talking about the first time he ever used a GPS. And uh, he didn't know that the, the way the GPS worked. And he misses a turn uh, on the interstate. He's like, oh my gosh, it's all ruined. And then he hears a little Garmin voice on his GPS go, recalculating. You know, he's like, he's like and I, just, I almost started crying. Like, it was so beautiful. Like, I'm, like, I'm still going to get where I'm going, you know? And, uh, and guys, that, that is how grace works for the repentant. You're not, you're not lost and stuck when you've blown it. Okay? Um, when, when you, now, so some, some of you guys here, you miss a few exits. Some of you guys here pull a Yui and you go the opposite direction God wants you to go. God sends hailstorms at your car, right? All right? But the moment you turn, it, it's not like you've missed the destination. You're just recalculating. You might, you might take a different path there. The blessing God has in store for you, for his people, is yours. He hasn't forsaken you, right? Don't live like God is punishing you for your sins. He's not. The punishment has been paid fully by Jesus. 
It's just grace. Even the difficult things in your life, even the things that seem so directly related to your sin, is grace. So God, uh, what we've seen here so far is that God responds abundantly to reverse the curses he has sent. To people who repent, God loves to restore. He gives help where there's sickness. He gives food where there's starvation. Joy when there is sorrow. How do we, how do we apply this? Um, I think uh, first, we have to say that um, anyone, anybody who genuinely repents and places their faith in Jesus has gr- a great future and a great potential before them. Think of, you all have that person who's an unbeliever who's just sandpaper to your soul, okay? They drive you insane. All right, you really struggle not to hate them. You really struggle to forgive them. That person, right? God's heart is so big that that person, at the moment of genuine repentance, God's heart overflows them. There's wonderful restoration. Have hope for the people around you in the gospel. Um, second, I do think it is important to clarify um, that there are times we do deal with the consequences of our sin, right? Um, and that's, that's just obvious. Everybody knows that. The Bible says you do what you do, right? You, you, uh, you murder somebody, you go to jail, right? Um, but think about that guy in jail, okay? He goes to jail, and he's serving a life sentence, and he becomes a Christian in jail. Does that mean that his life sentence is commuted? No, it doesn't. Uh, however, he can be freed in ways that are much better than physical freedom. He can be freed from guilt. He can be freed from the power of sin in his life. He can be freed to have an abundant, joyful life on mission with Jesus in his jail block. So if your past, present, is full of one of the big things, maybe it's sexual sin, maybe it's something else, repentance does not mean that you'll never be tempted again or never struggle with guilt again. But it does mean that you have a new power at work in your life, and it is possible in God's grace for you to have a biblically healthy sexuality. God is able to restore you, and he will. If your sin has wrecked relationships in your life, repentance does not mean that everyone you've wronged is going to forgive you. But it does mean that fruitful and abundant relationships are possible for you. The past does not define you. So in light of all of this, in light of God's heart, in light of his love, uh, desire to abundantly bless people who turn from sin, won't you freshly take up that call of Jesus in your life? Martin Luther said so well that when, when the Lord Jesus Christ said to repent, he meant that the entire life of a Christian is one of repentance. Um, anybody here ever had a bug crawl on them right before they were going to sleep at night? What do you do? You turn the lights on, throw the sheets off, and you find it. Nobody goes to sleep till the spider is dead, you know? Like, that's how, that's how it works in my house. You don't go to sleep until the spider's dead. Um, and I think this passage, um, because of God's blessing, this passage makes you turn in on your own heart and seek out sin like that. Um, some of you here right now, you were holding on to a sin. You're, you're holding back a part of your life from the Lord. There's something you know is wrong, but you just keep flirting with it. And one of the reasons is that you cannot imagine blessing in your life apart from this. You can't imagine hope. 
or life apart from this one thing you're doing is wrong. And this passage tells you that actually you're going to, you're only going to find life and restoration in repentance. Others of you are very committed from staying away from the big sins, but you try to live your entire Christian life only dealing with the sins that really hinder you. Your attitude towards sin is, well, if something big comes up, I'll deal with it. If I blow up my, I blow up my roommate, yell at them, okay, I'll repent. I watch something I shouldn't watch, I'll repent of that, okay? Like, I, I don't go to church for three weeks, okay, I'll repent of that. Um, but all, all the other stuff, the maybe respectable sins, like, you know, discontent, gossip, or lack of love for lost people, not, not rooting your identity in who you are in Christ, whatever. All those things that are, that are sins, they're clearly sins in Scripture. They're convenient enough where you don't really want to actively deal with them. You don't want to go through the pain of dealing with them. And you don't have motivation because they don't mess up your life in life. Let me give you some motivation. God longs and he seeks to rain down abundant spiritual I think, and circumstantial blessings on your life as you walk in repentance. The Psalms say, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Take that and let it be motivation for you. Deal with the stuff you don't want to deal with. The attitudes of your heart that are so rooted, in such long patterns, you dislike them. They're too hard to deal with. You don't want to. Deal with them. Forgive that person. Stop slandering that person. God will bless you. And also, if you are someone who is walking in repentance. And again, I want to be real clear. This is not protection, sinlessness. It's just an attitude that relies upon Jesus to save me, fights whatever sin remains. That's repentance, okay? Not perfection, not being, not, not being a good little Christian. It's someone who, who deals and fights with the stuff you have going on. If you're walking in repentance, rejoice. Be freed by this. The prospects for your future are not based on your present circumstances or your past sins. The prospects for your future are based on God's abundant grace to his people. God longs to pour out grace and blessing on you. Rejoice in that. Even if you're walking through the consequences of your sin right now, just realize, just recalculating, right? You're still getting the blessing. Okay, so God, uh, first he reverses the curses he sent to his repentant people. But as Joel has done before, and as he'll do again, uh, that wonderful blessing is actually pointing to a bigger blessing. Um, It's kind of like uh, Joel is telling us about this wonderful landscape. And he's saying, hey, look, I want you to see these beautiful hills, okay? They're covered in grass. They've got, I don't know, lots of cool animals on them, whatever, okay? Beautiful landscape. But now he's saying, look, in the distance, I want you to see the Himalayas. Look at the mountains. We're going from a, a, a present, close blessing to a future, huge blessing. So, uh, verse, verse 28, uh, 32, describe God. Look at verse 28. It says, it shall come to pass afterward, okay, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then it describes what the pouring out of the spirit will be. We'll get there in a second. And then... In verse 30 to 32, God describes the end of the ages. And in verse 32, he says that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And these are God's future blessings promised to 
to the repentance. Don't miss that. The context is really important. We're talking about the things God does with repentant people. So uh, just a couple things real quick about this verse, this passage in verse 28 particularly. So in the Old Testament, uh, in the context in which this passage was written, the regular believer did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. So in the Old Testament, God's Spirit was present primarily in the temple and primarily in particular people God had anointed for service. So if you, if you notice, uh, look at all this. Uh, at the end of verse 28, your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Uh, just know, now obviously, uh, that's a tricky verse, right? Uh, but understand that primarily the way the Spirit manifested itself in the Old Testament was through dreams and visions and prophecy. Like you think about Jacob's dream, or uh, this is a Joseph's dreams in Genesis, or Daniel's visions, right? Or all the prophets. The primary way that the Spirit manifested itself were in those things. And so the idea, as we get there, is that God's going to do this work of the Spirit in all people. And uh, in the Old Testament, there was this longing to have the presence of God's Spirit. Uh, in Numbers 11, Moses says, Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his Spirit on them. And this passage answers that longing. It says that God, in the, in the coming days, will pour out his Spirit on all flesh and uh, describes your sons and daughters prophesying. The young, right, who were in that culture pretty despised. Uh, the old, who were infirm. Uh, even on the male and female servants, the lowest socioeconomic class, God would pour out his spirit. And what would that look like? Again, I said, they shall prophesy, dream dreams, see visions. They shall have the experiences that only the people who were anointed with the spirit would have. So just know that these latter days, uh, the days that I think we happen to live in, as we'll see in a second, God has promised to repentant people to pour out the one thing that would help them to see this for thousands of years, the presence of the Spirit. God himself living, not just among, but in his people by the Spirit. The power that fueled guys like Samson and David and Isaiah in you. That's the promise here. And then the vision moves even further um, in verses 30 to 32. We're not just looking at mountains in the distance. Now we're looking at a 45,000-foot volcano behind all that. The language gets a little revelation-y here. It says uh, in uh, verse 30, I shall show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Just know that verse 31 it's quoted four or five times in the book of Revelation, all around the end of the world. We're talking about when the world ends here, okay? And it says here that in that day, in verse 32, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls to the Lord shall be saved. So the idea here is that when reality as you know it melts away, the sun goes dark, the moon turns to blood, everything you've ever known in this present world, gone and it's just you and all people before the throne of God, the judge, right? And most of those people, apart from Christ, right, will, 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 will uh, as the New City Catechism says, receive the fearful sentence of condemnation. You, if you call upon Jesus, will be saved. That you have a hope that outlasts this present life. 
That's the promise here. So um, even better than temporal circumstantial blessings, even better than God reversing the curses he sent, God promises in these latter days to pour out his spirit and to save his people when reality is over. And the New Testament tells us that we are living in the very days this text is prophesied. So uh, this passage is quoted at length in the book of Acts, in Acts 2. Uh, Jesus ascends, he tells his disciples to wait for power from on high. They do so probably by hiding. They're all hiding in a room away from the authorities who they're scared of. And uh, this is the day of Pentecost, and you guys follow the story. Tongues of fire from upon them, they all start speaking in foreign languages. All the Jews gathered from all the nations who were there are hearing the gospel in their native tongues. And they're like, what in the world's going on? Some people even say these, these people are drunk. And then Peter, the apostle, who again, 40 days ago, denied Jesus, stands up full of the Spirit, and he quotes Joel 2, 28-32. This is the day this is fulfilled. This is what's happening right now. What you're seeing is God pouring out his spirit. What you're seeing is that day when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, Peter preaches the gospel from this passage, and 3,000 people call on the name of the Lord and are saved. So, all that being said, we live in the days when repentant people don't just get reversing of the curses. They get the presence of God himself. They get salvation at the end of time. I think uh, an application, I think one of the biggest issues in the Christian life, particularly when it comes to contentment, is seeing blessing the way that God sees blessing. Having a, a realistic view of what blessing is and being content in what God has given. Like, ask yourself, what's the greatest blessing God can give you? The American dream, right? Spouse, kids, little picket fence on your house, right? Comfort, ease, deliverance from whatever you're going through right now. Is that the biggest thing they give you? No, it's not. So many, so many of us have gotten so used to God's grace, so used to the idea that I'm, I am not going to be condemned to the day of judgment, that I will go to heaven, that, that I have the spirit. We're kind of like, oh yeah, I have the spirit, that's cool. But we've gotten used to that. It's kind of like you're, you're sitting at the greatest feast there ever was assembled. All of your favorite foods are there. It's going to be amazing in your life. They don't have cheer wine. Back. I, I can't eat without cheer wine. So I'm just you're refusing to eat. I mean, we, um, this was uh, this, this past Christmas. So Sarah and I are foster parents. And um, people love to give foster kids Christmas presents. And so uh, we had about 30 to 35 presents for our foster brother family. Uh, obviously, we did not give all of them to her because that would be crazy bad, okay? So we picked, I think we gave her about 10 or 15, which is still crazy. That's still crazy, okay? And we open box 15. What do you think the reaction is? That's it? Oh, you know, and I was like, what do you mean that's it? No, I, I didn't blow up on her. I almost did. I wanted to. But that is how many of us are living a Christian life. You have, if you have believed in Jesus, God himself lives in you. You have his joy available to you. You have his power at work in your life. You have him sealing and preserving you. And you're like, I wish I got some better sleep last night, you know? Oh, today's Monday. I got to work. It's terrible. I wish I had a different job. 
You, you have of all people in the world, God chose you and he picked you from the flames of hell and gave you life on the day of judgment. Jesus is going to stand as your advocate. I want you to think about how you wish your relationship life was different or that we got along better in the end of the street. And this passage just calls us to get out of that air we breathe, right? Like, as if you live in America, um, every day when you're talking to people you know, when you're, when you're watching TV, when you're, whatever you're doing, America breathes to you. If you don't have luxury and comfort in the American dream, you are, you are entitled to be God, right? We have to get out of that, guys. We have to see reality. My, my biggest encouragement here, man, is if you, if you want to understand the blessings God has given you, you have to, you have to get alone with God and meditate and focus on that. You've got to get alone with God in John 7, where Jesus says that, that if anyone comes to me, if anyone's thirsty, they can come to me and drink. And as the scriptures have said, when they do that, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John says, Jesus is talking about the Spirit. You having the Spirit means that you go from being thirsty for life to someone who's overflowing with life. You get a passage like, like Revelation 7, where the world ends, and all of the nations who are opposed to God are crying for the rocks and mountains to fall on them because they can't bear seeing the face of God in his anger. Think about that, and on that day, if you know Jesus, you have an advocate before God. And if you can get your heart there, all of a sudden, guys, I promise, only getting six hours of sleep is not going to ruin your day. And not having all the luxuries and comforts you wish you had will not be a big, big deal. You will, you, will, you will have a perspective that sees blessing for what it is. And secondly, I would even say more importantly, um, the spirit of the living God lives in you. God says so many things in the New Testament about what the spirit does. The spirit, the spirit delivers from sin. He sanctifies. The spirit gives life. The spirit gives joy. The spirit creates community. The Spirit enables and empowers God's people to share the gospel. He lives in you. Take up His power. Rely on Him. Guys, faith, faith, reliance on Jesus is not something you experience once. You know, way back when when you got converted. Faith in Jesus is how you live in Jesus. Trust in the power of the Spirit. So there's a reason uh, certain Bible stories stick with us. If you've been a Christian for almost any length of time, the parable of the prodigal son is uh, one of those stories that sticks with you. Um, I'll just retell the first half. Uh, there's a son who tells his dad, basically, I wish you were dead, give me my money. And uh, the dad does, which is crazy. And the son takes his money, he goes to a foreign land and goes wildly, spends it all on all sorts of terrible things. And uh, money runs out, famine comes and finds himself knee deep in pig muck, so hungry that he wishes that he could eat what the pigs were eating, which would be really gross. And uh, Jesus is telling the story, and he, he says that the guy comes to his senses. And he makes a plan. He says, you know what? I've blown it with my dad. However, I bet I could go work for him. I could go work on his farm. And so he comes up with this plan. He says, you know, I'm going to go to my dad and say, Dad, I've blown it. I get it. Like, I'm not your son anymore. Just let me work for you. Let me make, let me make a decent wage. And uh, he steps foot in his town. He sees his house. And this isn't in the text, but you can imagine what that's like, right? We've all had dad mad at us. You know, you're expecting the lecture, the I told you so, the get out of here. And here's what happens. 
This is uh, in Luke 15. He was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes to his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and was found. And in Joel 2, we have seen that the moment we turn to God from sin. In fact, even when we are still a long way off, the Father runs to us and meets us and abundantly blesses us. And in fact, that is the blessing under all these blessings. The presence of the Father, the imprisoned grace on your life. Turn from your sin afresh and take up his presence. Let's pray. Lord, uh, again, Lord, we, we just need to plead your heart for us. And I just plead that um, just the, the picture of a merciful God pouring out blessing on his sinful but repentant people. I just pray that encourage us. We are all we all have things that we think have defined us. We've all made mistakes. We've blown it. And we, we just plead that you would give us the faith to see that you are greater than our sin.